everyone, welcome to Chomping After Dark, the podcast where we deep dive into the stories of our favorite video games, movies, TV shows, and comic books. After a long four-year wait, one of the most anticipated sequels came out last month. Since then, the world has been devouring the experience, marveling at the detail woven into the game. It brings me great pleasure to say that today we are assembling to talk about God of War Ragnarok. We are going to be deep diving into the story, and since we are in the midst of doing our Game of the Year shows at the time of recording this for the Chompcast, we will probably also be looking at some other aspects of the game while we wrap up our thoughts. Let's get into the intros. First, my name is Shay Layton, and I will be your host for this episode. Joining me today is a killer of berserkers, Draugr Teabagger, and certified Freya Stan. Wearing 3D glasses, please welcome to the show, Rich Meister. Rich, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, man. It's a rather long day, but I'm excited to talk about uh, Kratos with you. I just want full disclosure before we really get into things here. We are doing this entire podcast boy style. Boy style. Oh, yeah. I like. I already want to talk about that that moment. But can I? Can I? I'm slip before we even get into this because I want to talk about this because this is more of a God of War one thing that I guess I just never learned, and I think you, okay. as a man of science, would find it very interesting. Okay. Did you know there's okay. a conversation in God of War 2018 uh, where they actually confirmed that the reason Brock's skin is blue is because he does all his metalworking barehanded, and the silver has turned his skin blue like the raw silver that's cool i didn't i didn't actually know there's a conversation about that yeah, but that there's a conversation with Sindri. you can have at one of the camps where like atreus will ask him why brock is blue and he isn't and he says it's because brock does all his metalworking without gloves that's interesting you'd think he'd probably die at that point but then again <laughs> well, he's a dwarf we'll and a magical creature <laughs> yeah i I actually knew there was this one guy um, back when I used to work at Coca-Cola years ago. He would he used to like take all these supplements and stuff like that uh, for body body weight and other things. And because they weren't fully tested yet, they were kind of experimental. And essentially, uh, I don't understand it now. He explained it to me, you know, fifteen years ago. But because of this like combination of things that he took, his skin was actually. Not quite as blue as Brock's, but his face was blue, like similar to Brock, and it you, was always disconcerting to see. That is disconcerting. Was he getting paid to take these? Because I feel like if I was taking supplements and like the side effect was I turned blue, I'd be like, I'm going to stop taking those. I don't remember anymore. Honest to God, I don't remember anymore, but it. I just, I don't remember much about his story, but I remember seeing his blue facial skin every day and i was like damn that is a blue human being it's like damn shorty <laughs> <laughs> what you got under them jeans 
What that mouth yeah, blew. Some... Do you get it? <laughs> what that penis blew. Anyways. Uh... <laughs> Why is it blue? <laughs> Why is it blue, daddy? Oh, no. That is getting deleted. That is getting deleted. Yeah. Boy. Actually, you know, that could work as, uh, Who cares? as, as Who cares? a woman saying that. Who cares? Nowadays. That could work as anyone saying it. What do you... Who cares? I don't care. Could have been a squirrel. Could You could have been right a Tasker. Yeah. Hey, and we're bringing it back around. So from this point on, there will be spoilers. If you are concerned with getting spoiled on the game, please go play it and come back to listen when you have completed it. To be fair, it is quite a long game, so be prepared, but goddamn is it worth it. But now, turn the lights down low. Slip into something more comfortable. Grab your drop near spear and sip on an exquisitely flavored beverage as we tell you a tale by the fireplace. Kratos is sitting by a fire in a cave, warming himself up. Atreus enters the cave with the deer he hunted. Kratos decides that they will set out to avoid the storm. With their wolf companions towing their sled, they start traveling back home. On their way, they are attacked by Freya, still enraged and looking for vengeance at the death of Baldur. Kratos and Atreus manage to escape through their protection spell surrounding their home. Atreus rushes to tend to Fenrir, his dying wolf companion. (laughs) His hopes of recovery are dashed when Kratos informs him that Fenrir's time is near. As Fenrir passes... Atreus unknowingly casts a small spell with unknown effect. Kratos gives Atreus time to bury Fenrir in grief. Mimir wakes Kratos up to inform him that Atreus never returned. Kratos follows a trail of carnage and finds bandits have entered their home area. After dispatching them, he is ambushed by a massive bear. Narrowly avoiding a brutal death, Kratos chokes the bear who suddenly glows and turns into Atreus. Atreus awakens with no memory of how he got there. So this game starts us out a few years where we left off, the story kicking off quickly. The game does a good job of reminding the player of where the last game left off with starting to provide more context for the unanswered questions. Rich, what were your first impressions of the beginning sequences of the game? Um, I really appreciate that they kind of went with the, that that sled sequence is a good, like, opening set piece. Also kind of lets the game hit the ground running. Um, <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a, there's a really, uh, good, like, sort of cinematic, like, wrap-up you can watch from the menu if you haven't played the first one or just need a refresher, which is nice, because it makes it easier for this game to not waste its time, like, reintroducing you to ideas, and instead being like, you know, okay, it's been three years, you kind of know the status quo and how we left it, let's just get right into it, into, uh, and it's also cool, too, and this will be a little bit more as we tease into it, but this game does a really good job of, uh, familiarity being a tool that's used for people who played god of war 2018 which is like a lot of the zones or places you have been in that initial game that are now completely changed by the coming of thimble winter yeah yeah i like i i i agree with you i really like that beginning set 
set piece of them running away from Freya. I do think it has a little bit of, um, not that part, but the next part we're talking about, I, I should say I shouldn't jump the gun too much, has a little bit of similarity, similarity to how the first God of War, or God of War 2018, uh, started out as well but sure i think it's a really good way to pick up right where 2018 left off because it has been three years and it's like well what have they been doing the three years and i think they kick us off by saying like they've been training they've been hiding out because they don't want to get killed by yeah, freya but it, freya has been attacking and attacking and attacking and it does a good job also of illustrating, and we'll get into a lot more of this, like how Kratos has changed and like him protecting Atreus because it's three years has gone by. And like you said, they're training, they're hiding behind the ward. Kratos is not seeking out a fight, which is the Kratos we used to know. He's preparing because he knows a threat is coming, but he, much to Atreus's like dismay, kind of is not seeking conflict. Right. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see the inklings of Atreus starting to take on what Kratos used to be because he's like why don't we just go attack her? Why don't we, you know, strike back and Kratos is like no, that's not it's not what we do. And it's it's a cool juxtaposition to see early on that definitely plays a role much later in the game or I should say throughout the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um another another thing I really like about the intro too is um they establish kind of who Atreus is going to be in his teenage version of himself which I mean we'll we'll talk about a little bit later cuz I have a question specifically designed for this but I was curious to see how the characters would change after 3 years and how it would manifest in me like how would I perceive these characters so it start the game started off really well on those fronts. I do got to say though the you and I talked about this on the Chompcast. We talked about this privately. This is record time for a game making me cry within the first 15 oh, yeah, minutes yeah. when well, Fenrir well, that's died. Uh, I was bawling. I and mean, there's a few other times in this where I'm like uh big sad times. Um yes. The I, I do want to point out cuz it's on my mind now that you've mentioned it. Um, as someone who didn't fully replay, but dipped like a few hours back into 2018, uh, you know, like the week leading up to this, just to kind of refamiliarize myself. Um, mm. I don't think it might have registered for a ton of people how much like not just the voice actor, but like the rendition of the character of Atreus has actually grown in three years. Mm. Like it's it's go, it's go jarring if you're jumping right into it. Yeah, I like I remember kratos being much more of his aggressive former self in 2018 and in this game he's much more i mean at least yeah without getting too far into the story just yet he is much more willing to listen he's much more patient um he's always considering multiple options and that's something even in 2018 he wasn't quite consistently there yet with doing yeah so. no no it's it's definitely something that's been growing for him and it kind of comes full circle in this game yeah yeah it's definitely going to be uh interesting to get into more of that so let's let's jump into the next segment of story let's do it kratos atreus and mimir quickly rush home and reactivate their protection ward as they are settling in for the night they hear a series of lightning strikes suddenly 
a hole is blown in the roof. Kratos rushes out to see Thor, the god of lightning. Thor asks if he can come in to talk with him. Kratos reluctantly allows him in. Odin arrives shortly after. Odin makes a proposition. He and Thor will leave Kratos, Atreus, and Mimir alone if Atreus quits searching for Tyr. Kratos refuses on behalf of Atreus, leading to Thor attacking him. They fight to a stalemate. Odin interjects that he and Thor will leave if Atreus agrees to visit Asgard. Afterwards, Kratos, Atreus, and Mimir take refuge at Sindri's house, located on Idrisil, the world tree, with the help of Sindri and Brock. So before God of War was released, there was a lot of build-up to Thor being in the game with both the design of the character and the voice actor, played by Ryan Hurst. What did you think of the entrance of Thor and Odin, the two main antagonists? I I love everything about the way Thor and Odin are portrayed in this game. Um, there's, and we, we've talked a little bit about this on the main podcast, there's this sort of dynamic of, like, Odin is like a mob boss, and the, uh, the Aesir gods being, like, a, a crime family is basically the way they're portrayed. And it's it's done to really good effect because you have Odin as sort of not quite what I think anyone was expecting the way he's talked about in God of War 2018 as like this, you know, thin older gentleman uh, who he's in control. He commands any room he's in, but he's not like physically intimidating. And Thor is just like the muscle. Like he's just a huge fucking guy. He towers over Kratos, which is not a, easy thing to do um and he's not portrayed as particularly smart not maybe quite as dumb as his sons from the first game uh igni and modi but like he's just there to be the muscle he's he's there to intimidate you and odin is the one pulling all the strings right yeah i i really like their entrance because like when you see thor and some people are like, like, I remember the discourse when like, oh, he's out of shape. He's fat. Like people recently attribute Thor with uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Which this is, is a very you know, different take on the character. A very, very different take. I'm not going to say it's a bad take. Because no, I don't, I don't think, think it, it is. is. At it's all. just a different, it's a different take. But um, a lot of people were complaining like, oh, Thor has a giant massive stomach. Like this is not believable. But when you see early on that this character is kind of like. He doesn't have to think much. He he's muscle, and then he drinks. Yeah. Which Odin makes uh, pointed barbs at Thor early on for that. Like, I'm not, you're not here to think, you know. And like, why don't you sober up? Yeah, things like that. Like the, he's the making most, these pointed barbs. The most like mob boss like intimidations uh, thing I think he says in that scene, which I really love, is when he's sort of negotiating and he's talking about like Igni and Modi, and he's like, "You killed Igni and Modi." But they were useless, if we're being honest. He's like, but Balder, Balder was my guy. Like, that, you fucked up when you killed Balder, and we're gonna... Right. Like, there has to be recompense for that. Yes. I Yeah, I forgot about him talking about it in that way, because, yes, that's a... And I think that's fair to say, too. I mean, if we remember the events from 2018, not that uh, Igni and Modi were weak by any stretch of the imagination, but, like, I don't really remember the fights between... Kratos and those two characters, but I definitely remember the fights between Kratos and Baldur. Yeah. 
Igni and Modi were the fight, if just to refresh you a little bit, like basically it's a fight that only happens because Atreus is feeling full of himself and basically seeks it out and mm. basically Kratos' hand is forced. Yes. Yes, that's right. I remember that now. But no, I really like the way Thor and Odin are portrayed in this game. I the way they were talked about in twenty eighteen and what they actually were and are in Ragnarok are two totally different ideas because all you're hearing about in 2018 is who, who these characters are. You don't want to meet them. They're, you know, they're big baddies. And then not to say that they aren't because Thor and Kratos end up be, uh, fighting to a stalemate, which is pretty impressive of Kratos if you think about it in some regards. But then it's also pretty impressive of Thor if you think about it considering Kratos' past. But Odin, Odin was something that I did not expect. And like you said, the, the crime mob boss um, personality that he takes on, I was definitely not expecting that. And it was a very, very unexpected and pleasant surprise, yeah. I would say. Done to great effect. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's jump to the next segment. At Sindri's house, Sindri and Atreus reveal to the others that they have been re-examining the giant shrines, in secret, to determine the whereabouts of Tyr. They have discovered that he is alive and imprisoned in Svartalfheim. After quick consideration, Kratos agrees to go with Atreus to rescue Tyr in order to stop Ragnarok. They go to Svartalfheim and rescue a disoriented Tyr. They go to Alfheim and visit Groa's shrine to better understand the prophecy of Ragnarok. Kratos and Atreus battle through light and dark elves without the help of Tyr due to his newfound pacifism. They learn of an alternative prophecy where only Asgard is destroyed while the other realms are safe, with Loki, Atreus's giant name, being the champion of the Nine Realms. Each segment of this game is a massive story and lump... <laughs> and lump? Lore lump. dump! Lump. Lord Dump. So it's hard to succinctly sum up everything that happens. In this segment, we get a lot more information on why the light and dark elves are warring, as well as learning more about Tyr. So Rich, we will talk about the elves' conflict a little bit later. I want to discuss Tyr. Sure. Without jumping ahead to the reveal, what were your impressions of both Tyr at first and also of the alternative prophecy. Um, I think something seems amiss about Tyr from the the word go. Maybe not in the way that the the reveal ends up coming, but we'll get to that later. Um, but like something, he seems like shaken. Um, he doesn't stirred. He doesn't seem. Uh, <laughs> shut up. He doesn't seem like a god of war. Uh, he's no Kratos, as they say. Right. Um, as far as, uh, I'm sorry, it was on the tip of my, what was the second half of the question that for some reason has vacated my brain now? The alternative prophecy that they right, discover. Right, Uh, I think that just makes sense. And I like the idea of, like, Groa specifically just leaving bits out to kind of, you know, send Odin on this, like, like, the, the idea that, yeah, she would purposely misconstrue or leave out parts of the prophecy to leave Odin scrambling to try and save himself um, mm. when knowing he is not technically meant to overcome any of it. 
Yeah, it's like to jump in first on the t- tier stuff. It's like you have a man that's even towering over fucking Thor that you meet. Like it's such a good introduction to him because he's like he's got his arms folded on his knees and his like head is down on his arms and essentially you get him up and he has these piercing eyes and he just towers over Kratos and Atreus fucking yeah. towers he he looks Which like a human tower Kratos is like eight feet tall <laughs> and this yeah, man and this towers over him yeah and this guy's massive and he seems like this this uh I would say like former Norwegian black metal looking dude without yeah, the no, corpse paint that's that, fair that basically lost all desire to play black metal he just looks like forlorn and it's a it's a weird look to to think of like the Norse god of war is forlorn i was i was curious to see what he, who he would be as a character and again very surprised at who he actually ends up being um, when you first meet him, because you expect him to be like, yeah, I'm free. Let's, let's go fuck shit up. But he's like, no, I don't do that anymore. And he keeps talking about it little by little while Kratos and Atreus are fighting the light and dark elves. And Atreus keeps being like, well, can you at least help us with this? Can you at least help us with that? And he's like, I won't, I won't help kill anybody, but I will, I will help you guys with various obstacles all he does is stay back and make shitty stew as brock says yes exactly now the alternative prophecy um i i thought that those segments were really interesting and also very beautifully shot by the way like going into those uh giant shrines you do it i believe two or three times in the game where atreus goes in uh, with Th- uh, with Thor, with Kratos, and it's just beautiful inside of those little shrines, like visually. Yeah, yeah. I really like the way they're filmed, or shot, I should say, uh, or both. Do you think some of this but, really happened? Absolutely. I mean, if Avatar: uh, The Way of the wa- Way of Water was the fully fuck, shot, shut the no, fuck up. <laughs> uh, but. I, I think it's interesting. Obviously, it's a it's a good foreshadowing um, of what's to come. This game is never light on foreshadowing, and I think it does a good job of foreshadowing like what could be because like it's very the foreshadowing is very on the nose, but at the same time, the the way that Kratos, Atreus, Mimir, and the other characters like Sindri, Brock, Tyr so on and so forth wrestle with the prophecies and whatnot and fate and everything that even though it's foreshadowed that i think it's given plenty of time to marinate so like i i really like this segment reflecting back on it because honestly i didn't really remember too much until writing this script that 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 they can't encountered that like it, it was kind of like in the back of my mind that this alternative prophecy happened, but I kind of forgot about it because of everything else that happens in the game. You go on a fucking journey. I like a good journey. I do too. But I I think it's a good alternative prophecy. I like the way it foreshadows things, um, or it at least 
alludes to what could happen yeah at yeah. the very least and and again the thing that this game does so well um is it uses the prophecy smartly and also sort of plays on what kratos knows about prophecy from his days in greece and being like he's like these things aren't always like what they seem like the fates speak no no one's being direct with you is basically what he's trying to instill in Atreus. Like, there's maybe some grain of truth to all of this, but it's mostly just being used to manipulate you. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, it's good. It's good stuff. But let's go to the next segment then. Yeah, we will. After the party returns home, Kratos and Atreus get into an argument over Atreus's fate. They disagree about how to proceed with their future actions. Atreus later wakes up in Jotunheim with Angerboda, one of the last living giants. She shows him a mural showing the death of Kratos and of Atreus joining Odin. Atreus also learns that the spiritual stones that they found contain the souls of giants who hid from Odin. After helping stop Angerboda's grandmother, Grila or Gryla? I can't remember now. Gryla. Gryla, thank you. Gryla from stealing animal souls. Atreus is entrusted with the remaining spirit stones, using one to put a giant soul into the body of a massive snake. Atreus returns to Midgard. Foreshadowing! Yes! Atreus returns to Midgard, where Kratos angrily informs him he has been missing for two days. They are suddenly attacked by a Valkyrie, who turns out to be Freya with her Valkyrie powers restored. However, Freya relents when Kratos shields her from Atreus and agrees to spare Kratos if he helps her break the curse, binding her to Midgard. Taking the form of a falcon to circumvent Odin's spell, Freya travels with Kratos and Mimir to Vanaheim, where her estranged brother Freyr leads a resistance against Odin. As they travel, Kratos opens up to Freya about the deaths of his first family in Greece and the emptiness of revenge. After killing Nidhogg and preventing the curse, Freya admits that she can neither forgive Kratos for killing her son nor kill him in return, and the two make amends. And that's the end of the game. No, I'm just kidding. In God Can't of War 2018, <laughs> in God of War 2018, while there were certainly some references to past games and the exploits of Kratos, the developers looked to move into the next iteration of Kratos' story. Ragnarok sees an uptick in references to Kratos' past, with Mimir and Atreus asking Kratos multiple questions. Now, I, f- I believe that the conversation between Freya and Kratos about Kratos' first family is among the most important of all those references to the past. 100% Rich, would agree. you agree, and why or why not? 100% agree. And I remember messaging you about this around the time you would, would have been getting to it, um, because this is something I've been waiting to come up, because t- to me, especially the direction Kratos has gone in and how protective he's being of Atreus in this game, it feels like such a vital part of his character and to finally hear him talk about his daughter Calliope and her death be like the way Kratos has kind of turned that is acting in this 
it's easy to forget, especially, you know, like, we're, for, I guess, younger people who wouldn't have played those original games, like, Kratos has lost a family before, and that is the entire premise of the original God of War. His family's ashes are literally bound to his skin. Like, and, like, I do think they pick a good time to finally have it come up, to, you know, have Freya have that conversation with him. Where he's, she's like, what would you know about losing a child? And him being like, actually, motherfucker, um, a lot. <laughs> Let me tell you. you go, were you forced by uh, a god to literally kill your own child? Because hands up if you're Kratos. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's... It just... It always felt to me, even in God of War 2018, that it was unusual that it isn't brought up because the idea that Kratos would even have a family again, like that's such a vital, like, of course he would be incredibly protective of his family. He has lost his family before and, you know, by his own hand. Hmm. You know, it's, it's crazy to consider that the, this whole series started in 2005. I've never heard of David Jaffe. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And the very first game Starts out with you doing a quick time event of having sex as Kratos in a bed. The first game does not this start is... off with that. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. I've recently replayed the first game. I That's what I remember. The does first game starts with you on a ship trying to get out of Greece. It's attacked by a Hydra. That's right. And then the sex scene afterwards. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. Okay, almost at the very beginning starts it's, out with It's that. in the yeah. opening hour. You're not wrong. Thank you. Okay, it starts out with that. <laughs> Pretty much. But this, like, that game starts off after the events of uh, Kratos' family. He, he is the ghost of Sparta at that point. Like, the thing they play up, the only real thing they play up in the narrative in that first one at the beginning is that the men on the ship are so terrified of you, they don't even want to accept your help. They'd rather die than be saved by the ghost of Sparta. Right, exactly. And to see where he's at now in 22, uh, or God of War Ragnarok, I should say, is insane. Like, the character development could have never expected that, because when we were growing up, Kratos was very much just killing machine, vengeance, What you're saying is they should remake the God of War trilogy in this engine. That would be cool. I like, it's a joke, but also, yeah, I'd buy that. (laughs) I would too, to be honest with you. So... Throughout those games, we didn't we got little bits and pieces, but really not anything super substantial about Kratos's first family. You know, like they 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 are the driving engine; they are the catalyst. Well, it's funny actually. I personally think um, the game that does the most and tries to do the most with that is actually the PSP prequel, Ghost of Sparta, and. unpopular opinion here maybe probably only because a lot of people haven't played them i think the two god of war psp games are like the best original god of war games ghost of sparta and chains of olympus those are i never played them sadly those are phenomenal games uh i think maybe the best two of like original god of war that's well i mean if you're getting more context to who this character is they're certainly important and should at least be considered i never finished the um the prequel that was made for PS3 that I can't, I think Revelations is what it's called. Uh, mm. Cause there was a glitch in it at the time and I never picked it back up and I was stuck in like an infinite combat loop. Yeah. That's not fun. That's not fun at all. But 
considering that like for about 17 years there have still been some questions about how kratos would evolve over time and think about his family and reflect on that it's really interesting to hear this conversation and like you were saying in 2018 there is a little bit of that conversation peppered in but uh and he's also more shut off about it like he's not willing to talk about it in that way in a way that makes sense and as he's evolved from that game in these three years like kratos for four the fr- years four, four years. years whatever it is uh no well three years in game it's been oh, three years in game um yes. it's interesting to see because you wouldn't ever think you'd see kratos there like kratos is at a point where there are people in this world that he considers his friends yeah yeah it's that's a really good point too because you think about 2018 when mimir and atreus were would be talking a lot of times it, like in that game it was those two talking kratos would have some conversation as well but it was just very gruff Cr- Cr- and it was very yeah. like standoffish and whenever he got asked questions he'd be like we need to focus on what we're doing like things yeah, like kratos that. like trusts people in this one like he trusts brock and sindri he flat out confides in mimir like there are many moments in this game where he will leave the room to have a private conversation with mimir because yeah. he's like the only person he, he like seems to re- truly trust like mimir calls him brother and that relationship feels real at this point like he does yeah. treat him like a brother I, yeah, and I think they do, and we'll definitely talk about this later as well in more depth. They do a really good job of showing the passing of time in game. Like three years that we didn't see what happened, we see that in real time. Yeah. And like like you're saying, like the Mimir and Kratos relationship has that evolved has greatly. Evolved. Yeah, that's that's one of the many ways that the game shows the passing of time, which I think is great. But this conversation had to happen between Freya and Kratos because. How else do you resolve that other than killing Freya? Which I think would, wouldn't have serviced the story as well as using Kratos' past to and his tragedy to help him bond to Freya with her tragedy. And he's like, I know what it's like to go through the loss of family. And he's and he he genuinely has remorse, which you can hear. And he's trying to like he's not just you know trying to get what he wants out of her. He's trying to genuinely sympathize and be like, I understand what's happening, and I want you to understand that this is not a solution. He even talks at length about uh, what happened with his brother, which I mentioned, Ghost of Sparta. The only people who know that story are people who played Ghost of Sparta. That's what Ghost of Sparta is about. That story with his brother. That's what that game is about. I like that they did, like, one sequence. It's like a flashback playable sequence where you and you as Kratos and your brother are kind of going around and you learn a little bit more about that dynamic. I'm glad that they included that in the game because that, for people like me who didn't play Ghost of Sparta, that gives you context as to how did Kratos even end up being as strong and powerful and... Um, all other descriptors that I'm forgetting, as he is sexual, sexual as he is, you know, and that that gives a little bit more of context while this conversation between Freya and Kratos are taking place, and I think it's I think it's necessary in order for us to actually believe the growth of Kratos and to believe the growth of Freya as we get later into the story. 
because the way she's framed at the beginning of twenty or of Ragnarok is like she's on the path of Kratos for three years. All she's wanted is vengeance, and so we got we got to have some believable way to get her to reconcile if that's the route the route we want to take. And so we need context to Kratos and how he can truly show her that look, I've been on. My situation is not exactly the same as yours, but I've been down this path. Here's where I started. Here's where it was going. And here's where I'm at now. Trust me, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I know the weight you carry of losing a loved one and not having been able to do anything about it. And like, I think part of it, and it's never strictly stated, but I feel like a small part of Freya feels guilt for the situation she's put in. And it's never explicitly stated as that, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but also as like jumping behind. That sounds dirty. Of like Freya talking about how she has felt trapped by Odin, like both physically and mentally and emotionally. And she I think she feels some guilt because Baldor ended up doing things the way he did, and she couldn't not necessarily control, but she couldn't lead him down a better path. Yeah. And she feels like she failed him. Yes. Yes. And she never explicitly states that she doesn't have like a breakdown no. moment of that, but you can I don't think tell she needs it. I think it's better that she doesn't because people rarely like express their emotions in that straightforward of a way. And right. Right. And I think that it, it, it's good for us to like wonder what is that internal monologue she's having with herself when she's learning about Kratos and when she's trying to, consider everything that has happened the past three, four years. You know, she's trying to cope with it herself. And a lot of those things, we as people don't hear from each other, but it can be inferred. And the game does a great job. The writing is so great, especially um, to have this conversation to where we can infer she definitely feels guilt for the way things happen. But she also understands, a part of her understands like, this was going to happen no matter what, because Baldor is who he is yeah. or he was who he was at the end of the day. And I do always, I think it's good to, they, they keep Kratos really rooted in the way you'd think he, he would feel about a situation where like what he basically says to Freya about what happened with Baldur in the end, when they kind of reconcile, which I like is he goes, I won't apologize for saving your life, but I apologize for taking that choice from you. Yes. Yes. And I know some people are going to think that's corny as shit. I love that. Yeah. I ate that shit up. Corny works sometimes. It does. It does. All right, let's jump into the next segment. Back at Sindri's house, Kratos and Atreus have another argument regarding his recent deceitful behavior, causing Atreus to flee to Asgard to find a way to prevent his father's death. Atreus has a hostile encounter with Heimdall, but is saved by Thor and Odin. Odin informs Atreus that he needs his help in preventing Ragnarok by reassembling an ancient mask that can supposedly look into the rift between worlds and grant infinite knowledge. Meanwhile, seeking to reclaim Atreus, Kratos has Freya and Mimir lead him to the Norns, a group of deities that shape the destinies of others, who say that Heimdall is destined to kill Atreus. In response, Kratos and Brock forge the Dropnir ring 
into the powerful Dropnir spear, capable of bypassing Heimdall's foresight and harming him. So the group, especially Kratos, run through all of these Norse mythological figures to continue on their mission to change the fate that they saw at the end of God of War 2018. So Rich, how does that compare and contrast to the pace to which Kratos would run through mythological creatures and gods in the previous games? This is way slower, but I think for the better of it. And I, I the the older games... Kratos was running through his paces because he was just murdering everyone he encountered. Like, I mean, listen, you're not the opener to God of War three is fucking insane. And Kratos is decapitating people left and right, climbing up Olympus on a Titan's back. That game's wild. Um, What I do have to point out while we are at this this point, because we've gotten to the encounter with the Norns. um, The Norns has what I think is maybe one of the most fourth wally but kind of awesome like conversations in this game uh because you know we were all thinking it but it, it's fun to just have it pointed out by a character in game when one of the norns basically tells kratos like be like kratos like nothing's changed you're not you haven't grown you're not different you're still killing gods but oh no you're sad about it now like it's <laughs> just, it's so great <laughs> you you want to be honest with you yeah this is the only segment of the game this happened. I got to that cutscene and I fell asleep because I was really? playing so late. It's it's the it's such a great conversation because like it's very purposefully almost fourth wall breaky, yes, but one of the Norns literally says to Kratos, You haven't changed at all. You're still killing gods, but now you're sad about it. Like I get over that. yourself. I love that. Because I mean, it's not it's true that it's not quite at the pace that he was doing it. In the in the earlier, but the games, characters are more characters now. I Heimdall is, and I, I've definitely said this to you before as we talked about this. Heimdall is maybe the only god in this game that feels like a god from the original God of War series. Um, and spoiler alert, because we're doing part two of Game of the Year next day. Heimdall is gonna win most punchable face in twenty twenty two. That dude sucks ass. <laughs> Um, he, he is that arrogant, like, he is what all the Greek gods were in the original God of War series. He's this arrogant prick who thinks who the fuck he is, and when Kratos is choking him out, you're cheering him on. Yeah. Yeah. He was a very annoying character, for sure. And there, it's like one of the only times in the game, without, you know jumping too far ahead that there is a a notable care i guess in 2018 or 2022 that a notable character is killed that i was like all right let's get this shit over with and you that know, like fight, i want it i want and the way it shakes out feels the most like something from an older god of war game and i think that's very that's done on purpose like i i think you're supposed to walk away from that fight feeling that way and it's right after you've gotten this new weapon that you forged specifically to defeat him it's it's a really good moment it is a very very well done segment as well you know i i really enjoyed that i i don't have as much experience as you do with the older games i definitely played through number one and i played through some of number two and some of number three 
I didn't finish any of the other games other than one. Do you at least have a distinct memory? Did you get far enough in three uh, to bash Hercules' head in with his own gloves? No, unfortunately. <sighs> God of War 3 is really good, man. You should play I that know. remaster. I need to. I actually own it. <laughs> and I, and like, I that's played. the one I would go back to if you're going to go back. That God of War 3 remaster is, is real good. Hmm. I do want. I want to play through all, all of them again at some point in my life, but um, we'll see when that happens. But I definitely think that it's easier to run through like Greek and Roman mythology, like be able to run through gods because there are so many gods that it's easier. There are a lot just of from Norse a number gods. standpoint to just run through them all versus Norse mythology, which <laughs> does have a decent amount of gods, but not nearly I, as well, much. I, I think it's pretty. It's pretty comparable the amount, but how many people are gonna know is a lot smaller. Like, I feel like, like, you talk about, like, elementary school history classes, like, Greek and Roman mythology is such a big thing that kids are taught, because we know a lot about it. Mm. Um, And there were a lot of artifacts, and it's something, you know, like, that culture is something that is studied very extensively, so we know a lot about uh, their gods in particular. Right, right. Um, So from what I'm reading... Well, just for example, just to give context so people understand if they're more interested, there are 12 main Norse gods. Some people say that, or sources say there are as many as 66, but the, there are 12 main ones. And that's also, uh, consider well, and also to consider is that there are the Jotnar, Jotnar which are also um, a part of the mythology of norse mythology uh whereas there were 12 main roman gods and it it obviously extends beyond that so yeah i think you're i think you're right it's very comparable there are also different tiers of gods in norse mythology which i think is on its face a lot more confusing like those from valhalla are the aesir gods and then they're the vanir which are like the whole thing in Norse mythology is like to stop a war between these classes of God, Freya and Odin are married to like bring a peace, but uh Loki fucks a wolf at one point. Norse mythology's weird. Um Yes. All mythology yes, weird. is weird. Yes. I didn't mean to insult Nordic people. You guys read the Bible? This shit's wild. <laughs> right? Guy gets swallowed a by burning a whale. Bush. I'm like Pinocchio, what? Yeah. But I, I will say that there is a lot more thought into the creatures that are the mythological creatures, deities that pop up in 2018 and 2022's Ragnarok. Like, even seeing Angerboda talk with Atreus about the Jotnar um, is really fascinating. And the the game does a really good job of balancing, progressing the story. Uh, like the main conflict of Ragnarok coming and Odin also progressing the character development, also giving a little bit of historical relevancy and, um, and talking about the mythology of this world. Granted, it's a reimagination of the mythology that actually exists, but there's definitely some deeply rooted history in what they're doing in the game. And it's really great. And I like that they take the time in, especially Ragnarok, to explore some of that mythology and to give more context. Because 
one of the cool things about Kratos and about God of War in general that I think a lot of people are coming to love and they probably learned that they love about 2018 is they're basically blending multiple mythologies together in this story. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, Assassin's Creed was so beloved at the time that it was, is like taking all these, um, historical eras and kind of blending it together in a game. But I think what God of War does so well is Kratos is the living embodiment of that. He lived through the Greek and Roman mythological times. He, um, experienced that to such a deep level so now how does that he becomes like this living embodiment of how does this compare and contrast to something like Norse mythology and it's explored in such cool and interesting ways for sure I I I really love when he gets those questions about you know like what were the fates like because I remember Mimir asks this um what were the fates like uh back in Greece and he talks about that, how it compares to the Norns and their trip to visit the Norns. And yeah, how he's like, oh, they just, you know, speak in riddles. And <laughs> like yes. Kratos makes it very clear he did not care for his time with the fates. No, and I even love that, like, you hear hints of his old character come back when he talks about some of that stuff. Yeah. Like, some of the time when he's reflecting on the past, you can hear how he's learned and grown. Like, the conversation between him and Freya about his family and the loss of Baldor. But when he's talking about something like the fates from Greece, he's, he very much goes into old Kratos mode. And I also like when he's like, uh, there's one of the conversations I specifically remember. Cause one of the collectibles are like these Epic poems and Mirable asks Kratos about like what his favorite poem is or whatever. And he's like, Oh, I already have a favorite poem. And Mir will be like, oh, I didn't take you for like a lover of the arts. And Kratos <laughs> is like, I, my, I come from like, one of the cultural pinnacles of the world. Like, of course right. I appreciate art. And you're like, I never thought of Kratos that way. But like, yeah, he he came from Greece. Like, he talks about how he could play an instrument and has an appreciation for the arts. Like, Kratos is not as one note as you want to believe he is on the surface. Right. And like, honestly, and this is just because my brain is always trying to make comparisons to this. Um, it reminds me of like the earlier seasons of Worf on Star Trek The Next Generation. Sure. And then later seasons of Worf, where you learn that Worf actually likes music, Klingon opera, and yeah. he's a more detailed Like, you character. peel back those layers as he opens up and be like, I'm not just the guy with an axe. I, 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 I like, I'm into stuff. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, the pacing isn't quite as breakneck as the earlier games, but, like, I think the Norse mythological creatures and deities that show up, the ones that they focus on are the most important ones. And the ones that they kind of run through, like the Norns are there to service the, the narrative and they do a good job of balancing which mythological creatures they focus on and which mythological creatures, they kind of just show acknowledge help progress the narrative and then move forward from like meat hog is another one where um he has he has a lot to do in the norse mythology there there there's a lot about meat hog in that only thing he has to do in this is get decapitated yeah that boss fight is amazing that's a great one you know what else while we're at it you know it's a great game need hog (laughs) 
Indeed, indeed. All right, let's jump back into the next segment of the story. While searching for mask pieces in Helheim with Thor's daughter Thrud, oh right, I forgot Atreus about the mask. Accident- what? I forgot that this is the mask starring Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Loki's mask. That's right. Atreus accidentally releases the giant wolf Garm, who begins tearing holes in the realms, allowing Hellwalkers to wreak havoc across the nine realms. Atreus reunites with Kratos as both attempt to stop Garm. During the fight, Atreus realizes he accidentally bound Fenrir's soul into his knife when the wolf died. After they weaken Garm, Atreus stabs Garm with his knife and resurrects Fenrir by infusing his soul into Garm. Now reconciled, Kratos and Atreus return to Sindri's house. Atreus shares his knowledge of Odin's mask with the rest of the group, but the discussion is tabled when they learn that Freyr was captured by the Aesir. Kratos, Atreus, Mimir, and Freya return to Vanaheim to rescue Freyr, during which Kratos is forced to kill Heimdall and claims Gallarhorn? Yes, right? Gallarhorn is the, the, the horn held by Heimdall that signals the beginning of Ragnarok. Right. Inevitably setting Ragnarok in motion. So one aspect that you and I liked in God of War 2018, Rich, was the interaction between Mimir, Kratos, and Atreus. We really liked the banter that those three had, as well as the relationship that blossomed from beginning to end of that game. God of War Ragnarok builds upon that idea as both Kratos and Atreus have missions on their own while working towards similar goals. So because of this, they individually build relationships with other characters. While there are many excellent ones to choose from, which was your favorite of the relationships to develop over the course of the game and why? Damn, this is a tough question. <laughs> yeah, as I was writing it, I was like, I don't even know if I can answer this one. Yeah, wow, you really put me on the spot with this one. There's so many. There, like, it sounds like I'm being like, oh, there's, there's just so many. I can't pick just one. Well, um, why don't we just talk through like well, some of I'll, the high points I'll, and then one of the high points and this is I classically lo- am a fan of like show me don't tell me as far as relationships go with characters this takes a little bit of both and I think it does it well um, which is uh, Atreus and Sindri um, and I say it does both because you kind of get the feeling initially in the three years that have passed, especially Atreus talking about having like sneaking off and going to see uh, some of the, the tapestries and giant stuff, shrines. the giant shrines. Yeah. And secret like him and Sindri have sort of like grown this trusting relationship. And Atreus even says as much that he's, he thinks of Brock and Sindri like his uncles at this point. Um, mm. And they, they just kind of have a good, but Sindri in the first game, you know, is like very standoffish and he still has that element to him, but there's like almost this, this bullying level of like, he wants to help Atreus and Atreus is like Sindri, but also is going to exploit that and use him to kind of force him to help him into doing what he wants. But they just, they have a good banter. I like that relationship. Um, a lot happens with Sindri as that game goes on. Boy, does it, but, um, Mm. Maybe that relationship sticks even stronger because the way things go later is kind of heartbreaking. Yes. I think that's a really good relationship. I even like Sindri and Brock in this game just because, like, 
in the first in 2018 it seems like they're two brothers and they're they're there are moments, you know, like when they first bring you to their... And that relationship um, is negative when that game starts. Let's not forget, they're estranged at the beginning that of is true. 2018. Yeah. yeah, and you kind of bring them together. Yes, You're, that's a good point. And it builds even more in this game, like to where they're having conversations with each other. They're not always at each other's throats. They're act- actively, like, they're not, like, like palling around arms on each other's back, but they're sometimes even advocating for the same result um, in their own way that, you know, like that relationship's great. I really like, uh, obviously classically the relationship between Kratos and Freya. I really did not expect to enjoy that relationship as much as I did because Freya is kind of a, like, I don't want to say a non-character in the, in 2018, but she's, doesn't have a lot she's more sidelined um, until the finale but like now and it's funny after knowing there's like three years of pure animosity um but like when they they reconcile like you you do see like them moving past it and being like no they really are friends yeah like kratos does give a shit about freya and even and has through all of that time like he even says to atreus at one point when he's like why don't we like you know find her do something about it and he's like because we're not going to hurt her she was our friend Right, right, exactly. I, I really like that relationship. Believe it or not, I really like the 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 musings with Tyr in the earlier parts of the game with Kratos and Atreus, Tyr. especially because Kratos and Tyr have this really interesting dynamic because they're both gods of war. And it couldn't be more different. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, Tyr at the earlier parts of the game kind of embody if kratos completely takes the pacifism route what he could look like i mean that's that's a window into a possible future of kratos and i think kratos understands now whereas if he were to encounter tier even in 2018 he wouldn't understand why tier is the way he is right now but as we see him we as the kratos of ragnarok we understand much more why Kratos can understand who Tyr is and why Atreus can't quite Atreus understand. can't grasp it, yeah, but with everything Kratos has been through, like, like Kratos' multiple times where he goes, I, do, like, Mimir or Atreus will be like, oh, you know, isn't that crazy? And Kratos is like, I don't think it's crazy to not be actively seeking out war. No, I don't think that's crazy at all. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, exactly. I also, I love the interaction between mimir and kratos both that and mimir and atreus um through and atreus a is a big one for me too there, there's another tough scene to watch towards the end of the very end of the game between atreus and mimir which we'll get into in a little yeah. bit but even like the anger boda and atreus stuff is great yeah i you know what actually i think one of my favorites because i did not expect it at all and it's a little heavy-handed but it's played off really well is Thor and Atreus. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they do. A, I a pretty, really like that relationship when they're, yeah, they're kind of begrudgingly forced to work together. And like, it's, it's funny to almost see like, as uh, one of my favorite bits in that is when you're in, um, Muspelheim and 
Atreus is trying to basically get like five minutes alone to go check out one of the giant shrines and he keeps like talking to Thor about like oh when me and my dad were here there was like this combat arena and he keeps trying to like talk it up to eventually convince Thor to like fuck off for 10 minutes and go do the combat arena yes Uh, it's 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 all very good I yeah the crucible yeah I really like I really like that uh segment I like the segment after where you know, they're talking about how they're both sons and they're kind of at the at the will of their fathers in yeah. some regards. And they're talking about, you know, the the deaths that have occurred in twenty eighteen and what's happening and sowing the sowing the seeds of discourse for Thor is what Atreus does in that segment. And it's really good because it is a little bit heavy handed. And Thor, and this is like the other fourth wall breaking moment of the game where Thor is like, I don't need a fucking child to, you know, give me advice. And it's like, it's breaking that, that, uh, that's not stereotype that, how, I don't know why I'm forgetting this word, the trope. Sure. It breaks the trope of like the, the child or teenager having all the answers for the, the adult who is struggling, you know, that has happened so many times in media that like, that's kind of what's happening here. And they break the fourth wall by Thor being like, listen, kid, I don't need your fucking advice. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love that. And, you know, like it ends up, you know, Atreus being right. Of course, of course it does, mm-hmm. but they don't do it. So in such a saccharine way, which is what I really like about that relationship as well. Like Thor lar- largely isn't going to change by Atreus's words. Thor has had years of drinking himself to non-death, estranging himself from his family. Um, there are even segments, which I love, where you can eavesdrop on him and his wife arguing or him and his daughter arguing. I do like, uh, actually, I just thought of this while you're bringing up that that happens. There's a really great uh, thing that there, there's multiple points where you're like, you could listen at Thrud's door. You could listen at uh, Thor and uh, Sif's door to hear what's going on. Uh, there's one point in the game where you get the option to listen at Odin's door. And if you go to do it, all you get is him going, I know you're out there, Loki. Step away from the door. <laughs> i didn't know that actually. yeah there's like a conversation he's having with thor where you can choose to listen to the door and if you do he's like i know you're out there loki i'll catch up with you in a second go back to your room <laughs> i like that i've heard that like if you listen long enough eavesdrop that there's a point where they're like we have nothing else to talk about why are we still here like shit like that yeah, that's, like that's the game acknowledges yeah. those funny moments but like even with uh we haven't talked about him much Kratos and Ratatosker. And Ratatosker yes. um is the guardian of Idrisil, the the world tree. But Master Kratos. I, I like even like his as you learn later, he has these like spectral squirrels. One of whom you and met. They, in they represent different parts of his personality, and you encounter those different parts of his personality in the world, especially when you're doing a lot more of the side mission stuff. I even like that dynamic a lot between those two. If you consider like those spectral parts of his personality, a part of Ratatosker. One one of uh, my favorite like little blibs of dialogue thrown in is outside of Brock and Sintry's house in uh, the realm between realms. 
Uh, there's like a chime you can throw your axe at to summon Ratatasker if you need him. And at one point in the story, Ratatasker is, for narrative reasons, not there. And if you throw the axe at the chime, uh, just the angry element of his personality is there. And he goes, he's busy! Fuck off! <laughs> I Yeah, dude, I fucking... Oh, I love that. I love that shit so much. I really do. Yeah. I I honestly, if I were to pick one, though, if I had to pick a relationship, um, besides, like, besides the obvious of even just, like, Kratos and Atreus, because I think I like their relationship a lot in this game, mm-hmm. I I actually think in some ways that I liked their relationship in 2018 better than I do in this game. Not that they have a bad relationship in this game at all, but I I like them like building it up. And I love their relationship in Ragnarok a lot. I think I would have to pick between um Atre- I, I don't know if I could decide between Kratos and Mimir or Atreus and Mimir. I think if uh, top tier for me is probably Kratos and Mimir. I just love how far they've come and like how like weird it was such like a uneasy alliance almost in the first game, and now they really are brothers. Hmm. Yeah, I really like that. the The thing too is to to think about it without revealing it. The payoff of the Atreus and Mimir relationship is also like that payoff. It That's makes another you realize, one that brings a tear to the eye. Yes, it's it makes you realize how important that relationship it was as well. So. I don't I don't know if I could choose between those two. Like I think just that the the three way of the, that relationship is just sublime. So, yeah, yeah. A lot of those relationships in the game are so good and I didn't expect it to be. For sure, for like, sure. Like even Atreus and Throod. Yeah, that, that's good another dynamic. good one. It's, I actually really like as you're sort of sieging um Valhalla at the end, uh, Asgard rather, not Valhalla. Um, when Kratos like meets Thrud for the first time, and he's just like trying to be like nice to his son's friend and like complimenting her combat skills. Yes, yes, I love that. And he's the guy to get the compliment yeah. from. You know, he's seen things. So, all right, let's jump into the next segment of the story. While Freyr recovers from his injuries. Kratos reluctantly allows Atreus to infiltrate Asgard and finish reassembling the mask in order to steal it from Odin. Brock and Sindri give Atreus a failsafe in case of emergency. Thor is manipulated and becomes angry at Atreus. He nearly kills Atreus, but Atreus is successful and escapes back to Sindri's house. Atreus gives the mask to Tyr who unexpectedly agrees to fight and reveals he knows of a secret way to Asgard. Brock, suspicious of Tyr's abrupt change of heart, suddenly realizes Tyr is calling Atreus Loki, prompting Tyr to fatally stab Brock, revealing he had been Odin in disguise the whole time. The group drives Odin away and retrieves the mask, but a grief-stricken Sindri blames Atreus for Brock's death and abandons the group to mourn. Atreus and Kratos commit to Ragnarok, entering Mus- Muspelheim to help Surtur, the first fire giant and the second being born into existence. 
achieve a destined primordial form that will destroy Asgard. So the big twist, Rich, what were your thoughts and feelings at this point? I did not see it coming at first. Like in the moment it was unraveling, I was like, oh, like I saw where it was going as they were leading you up the path. Uh, but I thought it's played very well because something does seem off about Tyr the whole time, but I don't necessarily think any, I was, I was seeing it as that. Um, I do want to throw this out here while we're on this big twist, because I don't know if we've, we've talked about this privately. Um, there was an interview with one of the, the creative leads on God of War, where he was talking about how, um, you know, the Odin twist comes and Odin in Norse mythology is like, you know, this deceiver, this trickster, he changes his shape to, to trick people all the time. And he talks about things in the development where they were like, there are moments where they would build a character and go, that's Odin like somewhere in the game and the first one in the game i think is really good which is it's a blink and you miss it thing but in retrospect it's like oh that's funny when you are going into svartalheim for the first time when you're Mm. you're rowing the boat in you pass under a bridge at one point as all the dwarves are like running inside and hiding because of your arrival and there's a dwarf walking across the bridge who leans over the side and spits on you that's odin oh shit that's cool yeah like it's a fun detail (laughs) That is really cool. I like that. <clears throat> this game, like, before we get to the twists and stuff, there is so much fucking detail in this game. I don't know if you, I'm sure you saw the video on Twitter of when Kratos and Thor are fighting. Kratos knocks one of Thor's teeth out. Yeah. And Thor spits it out, or pulls it out of his mouth and throws it down. And it stays, it's on the ground, yeah. It's yes, there. You and can it stays come there back for the entire it. game. Yeah, you can come back there and see it. Yeah. The amount of detail this game has that you have to unearth is insane. Back to the actual twist. I agree with you. I didn't see it coming, but like it's they do a good job of making you feel like something's off, but like is it really off or am I just conditioned am I to paranoid? think yeah. this way? And also yeah. to have it be Brock who is not ever really pegged as the most clever character in the game be the one who's finally like no 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 something's not fucking right here yeah i love that it ended up being him i don't love that he ended up dying but i love that it ended up being him who knew like who figured it out yeah i and it's it's interesting when you think about it because like we talked about before with tear being the former god of war part of you really wants to believe that like it's this character that has just changed through grief and being alone for so long and in prison for so long that yeah, it it truly makes you wonder. But then also you start to think about the, the small pieces of the puzzle. Like when you found him, the way you found him, it seems so like pedestrian the way he was imprisoned yeah. initially. It yeah. really does. And how like there was no urgency whatsoever to him wanting to escape like zero. He didn't even want to get out at first. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Odin hamming it up to be like, Oh, he's, you know, like it's, he's just used to it. He's been down there for so long. He's not ready to rejoin the world and he's broken. Right. He lays it on really thick there, but like you would think like in retrospect, you would think of the person or the deity who is the God of war would always have some fight in him. But the game does a really good job of framing it to where you suspend your disbelief because you're like, man, this character really has been on hard And to be fair, and we'll get to this, the reaction is differently. Post-game, you can 
yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, 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 yeah. You motherfucker. It's a spoiler cast. Who fucking cares when we say it? Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But no, um, yeah, you're right about that. We're definitely going to talk about that later. But yeah, when when that conversation and that cutscene is unraveling, you you start to feel like, well, well, okay, now he's really feeling like we need to get shit done because Ragnarok is coming. But then it starts to feel a little bit but weird. But it's the, you know, the questioning of like, Brock makes very good points. He's like, you've had a, a backdoor into Asgard this whole time and we're just hearing about it now. Yeah, and then you register... Uh, like I'm, I'm sure people more perceptive than me caught it immediately when he calls him Loki. It took me a few seconds, and I was like, "Wait, did he just say Loki?" Like as the conversation is progressing, yeah. Right before the only other person who calls him Loki is Odin. Right, and it took me a few seconds, and right, well, right the, about the, when the Brock Aesir mentions it, I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, that's what I was." Yeah, yeah. But man, the the thing we haven't really talked about. Um, that I know you're going to want to talk about is what's revealed in this game when um, between Sindri and uh, Kratos yes. and Atreus and Mimir is that at some point before uh, in the past, Sindri yeah. basically brought uh, Brock back to life. And they, they, yeah, they allude to it early on when like, they talk about like the them getting kicked out of Svartalheim, the doors not wanting them there, and that part of the reason is that they believe Brock being alive is unnatural because Brock died, Sindri could not live with it, and he went to what in Norse mythology is like the well of souls, um, and retrieved all the parts of his soul except for one. There's one he couldn't recover. Um, so basically Brock is alive but incomplete, unbeknownst to him. Right. Exactly. And what that means, Rich, is because he couldn't recover the full parts when, of his soul. When Brock dies this time, he basically ceases to exist. He does not get an afterlife. Um, he just, you know, he doesn't go to hell. No Helheim, no Muslim, nothing. Just gone. Yes. Erased from existence. And so when Brock is fatally stabbed by Odin this time, you know, there's there's this initial rush to, like, what can we do to save him? What what can be done? And when it's realized there's nothing that can be done, he's gone, gone. That's when Sindri loses his shit. That's when he blames Atreus. He says, fuck this. I'm done. I don't care about Ragnarok. I don't care about this conflict. I feel like you guys used me. Um, I opened my home to you, and you guys took advantage of that. I'm fucking done. Yeah, and, and he just disappears. And it is important to note too that at, at this point in the story, Brock has learned what happened um, when uh, when Kratos and Brock went to form the Dropnir spear because the spear is forged by a mermaid. Who in Norse mythology, mermaids look into your soul; they don't look at you. So basically, the the mermaid doesn't even acknowledge Brock, and he comes to understand it's because the part of his soul that she would recognize is missing. Um, so Brock's final words to Sindri are in a very another tear jerking, depressing moment is I know what you did and I forgive you. Yeah, that was a tough, tough segment. I, I didn't want to believe Brock was actually going to die. I part of me believed that like there's going to be another mission to somehow recover him. No, he's gone. And it's uh, he's such a good character. But again, you and I talked about this privately. I do think 
having a way to save Brock would would lessen it would ruin the impact and it is a very big impactful big moment of the story that has long lasting ramifications. Yes. Which I'm excited to talk about later but yes yeah. I I know it's a necessary death and we can't just like continue to have like the Avengers cast of characters and God of War Ragnarok and beyond no. as much as I would like that. Like I I think that some of those not just Avengers, but like some of those kinds of franchises who build up this huge cast of characters kind of spoils us. For any any comic book fans, uh, this is just you remind me of a weird thing from my life. Uh, the comic shop I went to for years as a kid and in through like college uh, was called Stinky's. Uh, the old ma- the old man who ran it went by Stinky. He was an awesome guy. It's at my comic side for me every week. And we used to talk about death comic book events with him. I remember specifically when the death of Wolverine was coming out. Stinky rang me up for issue number one, and he looked me dead in the eye, and he said, he'll be back in six months. The only guy who stays dead in Marvel Comics is Uncle Ben. <laughs> I love that. But I th- I think that Brock's death was necessary to build a more interesting narrative to build more character development. Um, had he somehow been brought back again, it would have been too saccharine. It would have been too feel good. Yeah. And there needs to be some consequences to what they're doing. We need stakes, baby. Absolutely. But yeah, it was a great twist. Like even if you could, even if it was foreshadowed and even if is somewhat predictable i still think it's a great twist like great twists don't have to have zero foreshadowing and some people feel the opposite i th- I feel like a good twist should have some foreshadowing and even if it is a little bit predictable otherwise that doesn't make without it any the foreshadowing it feels unearned in my opinion I agree. in my correct I agree. opinion i agree okay so the next segment under Kratos' leadership, the united forces of the other realms gather at Tyr's temple in Midgard. Kratos sounds the Galarhorn, opening all realm travel to begin the siege of Asgard. Initially, the battle does not go well. The other realms are quickly cut off. The elves and Vanir struggle with Asgard dis- Asgard's defenses. Sindri comes alone so that no more dwarves will die, and the army is forced to rescue innocent Megardian refugees from the uncontrollable Surtur. However, the tide turns when Angerboda arrives with Fenrir and the snake Atreus previously saved, now fully grown into Jormagander, the world serpent who distracts Thor while Sindri destroys Asgard's war machines and protective wall. Thrud and her mother Sif then defect after discovering Odin used refugees as living shields. Thor knocks Jormungandr back in time with Mjolnir and engages Kratos in battle once again, but he is convinced to stand down to help his family, only to be killed by Odin for disobeying. Odin then engages Kratos, Atreus, Freya, and Mimir, and the group overpower and defeat him. Atreus shatters the mask and traps the unrepentant Odin's soul in a spiritual stone, but a vengeful Sindri smashes it to kill the Allfather. As Surtur destroys Asgard, Freyr sacrifices himself to ensure everyone escapes through a rift made by Angerboda and Fenrir. 
So the big conflict happens, and a lot of parts move very quickly. Sindri becomes unhinged. We see Jormungandr sent into the past. Surtur's destruction. Thor finally takes control of his life only to die. The defeat and extermination of Odin. And the sacrifice of Freyr. What were some of the highlights and lowlights of this conflict to you, Rich? Um, God, a lot happens here. Um, the very broken Sindri and like the sort of ruthlessness with which he does his part here is impactful because it just shows you how far he's fallen since what happened with Brock. Um, it is a great detail to have Jormungandr show up and like confirm the earlier foreshadowing of, yes, the snake is Jormungandr because this is mentioned in God of War 2018, but for anyone not super familiar with Norse mythology, in Norse mythology, the world serpent Jormungandr is sent back in time by Thor during Ragnarok, which is the idea of the world serpent, the snake eating its own tail. But right. it also comes full circle with when you meet Jormungandr in 2018, he acts like he already knows Atreus and Kratos because he does. Right. Yeah. Um, it, and, and I, and I love seeing like earlier in the game, Atreus injecting one of the giant souls into that snake that they found, which ended up becoming him. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of like, Oh, I feel like Atreus like having that moment of where they talk about earlier when he's given the giant souls that, uh, Angraboda is like, oh, you know, I just told you would know what to do with them when the time comes, and he's just kind of following that impulse. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed the, like you said, Sindri becoming unhinged. That was such a good, good de-evolution of his character. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later because I have a question specifically designed for that. I like this. I like to see the Jormungandr stuff. I really enjoyed seeing Thor finally get some. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Redemption. He, he, yes, thank you. I don't know why I forgot that word. He gets some redemption at the end, and he like. It's almost like he's sobered up, and he finally he's is seeing what he should have seen all along for the whole game. It's like, yeah, he's finally seeing clearly, and he's finally like standing up for himself and not being like, "No, I'm not just doing what you want." Like, I don't. I'm. He's listening to his daughter. He's listening to his wife. He's listening to the people around him that are making sense. Hmm. Exactly. No, he. And the th- the thing that's cool is that he uh he has an impact a big enough of an impact for Throod and Sif to see that, you know, he was actually finally becoming clear headed at the end and he was trying to do something right. Yeah. And because it's God of War, of course, Thor can't survive, no. but a part of me wanted him to survive. But again, that's the saccharine ending. And that's not what God of War ever offers. No, of course not. Of course. Every, like li- there are a lot of casualties and I've, you know, it's a realistic level of casualties. I think so. I think so. I th- I like, I fully believe Odin would have did what he did. And the thing is, I think that's really important to show is that Odin does seem like this crime boss throughout the whole game. This guy who's pulling the strings. We don't ever really see his true power until this moment. Yeah. He's never he like, required to lift a finger until now. Right. And this is the time he is required. And you're like, Oh fuck. Now I understand why Odin's they're afraid at. of him. This is why they listen to him. Yeah. Right, and I think that's such a poignant moment in the story, and it it shows just that much more why it takes Kratos, Atreus, Freya. All all together, well, it's 
like, and I don't know if we said this on this podcast in particular, but like Odin shuts down Thor in two minutes. And for the majority of the game, whenever uh, Thor and Kratos clash, they're pretty much portrayed as equals. Right. Exactly. And so it takes, it takes that much more to defeat Odin, which I think is really, really important. It's really important. Um, yeah, such a good, that's such a good segment. Um, the lowlights for me, if I'm going to be honest with you, one of the biggest ones that I, I was kind of left scratching my head, maybe this is the main one or the only one, is Freyr's sacrifice was kind of head-scratching to me. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it felt, like, unnecessary. And, like, the the lack of fanfare surrounding it Yeah, it was maybe felt of bizarre oh, like, I don't think it was necessarily bad, but, yeah, I, it, the least impactful of all the sacrifices that happened. It was almost like they had, like, a, to tick a box of, like, ah, somebody else needs to die, too. Uh, Freyr. Right. That's what it feels like. It's like they're just, like, rolled the dice. Ah, Freyr, that's you. Because it, it just as well could have been any other character. But maybe because, like, and I, and I get why. Like, you, th- you think about it logically. His character is, like, rescuing him and getting him on our side to to reunite the elves is all like catalyst like it's all catalyzing certain parts of the story sure but it's just like elves love that with, boy with how much how much the game spent on talking about him especially when you consider when you are in alfheim and kratos atreus and mimir and also kratos and Freya, even more so, and Mimir are talking about um, why the elves loved Freya so much. Like, you get a ton of backstory about that when it's you and Freya going to Alfheim. And it's really interesting and important stuff. You get a ton of context to who Freya is, and it seems like, oh, he's going to have a big role to play. And he does have a decently sizable role. But the way they were just like, oh, he's like, I'm just going to stay behind. And then I felt more it. emotional attachment to his sword. Yeah, Ingrid was really important. It was nice that they got back together, though. You know, it's nice to see them together in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But Ingrid, that's the sword's name, yes. right? I yes. Was right? Okay. yes. Ingrid is Freyr's sword. Yes. That was helping but, Atreus for most of the game. Yeah. But... I yeah, I just thought that that was such a, like a oh okay, he's dead. That's it. Okay. And like Freya mentions it in the next segment we're about to talk about, but it's like it's not even like her the only main people focus. who feel like they're really mourning him are his followers specifically and the way they talk about him after you get back. Right. Right. So it was interesting. It was like uh... I thought I thought it could have been handled with a bit more heft. I get why it's not. Because there's so because there's so much else going on and there are deaths of other characters that we already feel way more attached to, so they're given more attention, I think understandably. Like I'm yeah. still reeling from Brock's death at this point. Same. Same. So, I get that. The the destruction of Surtur, like it's kind of like in the middle for me. Like, I th- I think that there should have been a little bit more impact to that because he's the second creature 
according to the Norse mythology, to ever exist. I do really like the way Surtur is portrayed in this game, though. He's, like, sort Same. of melancholy and, like, being like, I don't care about any of this. <laughs> like, Well, yeah, because, I mean, he's seen the rise and fall of so many things. Yeah. And yeah. I, I do also really like the how they kind of go back to sort of circumventing the prophecy and pumping Surtur up in your own way, like, using the primordial fire from the Blades of Chaos to to strengthen Surtur is just it's an interesting idea yeah yeah it's it was a good marriage excuse me it was a good marriage of kratos and his past and Surtur and just norse the norse mythological past in general i thought it was a good marriage of those two yeah for sure okay well what's customary at this podcast is to do something i like to call the mad dash to the end this is where I read the last little bit of story, and then we reflect on it um, and the game as a whole. So, here we go. Holy sins. After this, What's that? No, it's gone. Oh, okay. Sorry. After the siege, Atreus reunites with Angerboda in Midgard, who shows him and Kratos a mural his mother Faye had deliberately destroyed so that they could determine their own fate. Atreus resolves to find the other surviving giants, and he bids a heartfelt farewell to his father and Mimir. Looking further into the shrine, Kratos discovers a mural depicting him as a beloved, peaceful god revered by all. Finally hopeful about his future, Kratos recruits Freya and Mimir to help rebuild and restore peace. Asgard's... Oh, I forgot how to pronounce this. Einherjar? Einherjar? Yeah. I, I, I need to see the word, because whatever it is, you were butchering it. Nah, I can't remember how to... Hold on, we're going to look this up right now. We're going to do this. Fuck it, we're doing it live. Hold on. Sorry. This is not the most interesting. I can't not pronounce this. Hold on. You ready? Yeah, sure. Oh, wait, we're getting a six-second ad. E-I-N-H-E-R-J-A-R. Eingard? Einhard? Let's, let's find out. We are looking at how to pronounce this Norwegian word. <laughs> how do you go about pronouncing Just say the word, you fuck! Einherjar. Oh. Einherjar. Einherjar. Yeah, I definitely butchered that. Yeah. Einherjar. Asgard's Einherjar are cleared out and Freya kills the vengeful Valkyrie queen Na? I can't, I can't remember how to pronounce her name uh, either. G-N-A. G-N-A. Yeah. Gan. Or G-N-A. Maybe it's G-N-A. Ganesh. <laughs> Garugamesh. To reclaim her title, the Aesir relocate to Vanaheim and finally achieve peace with the Vanir. Thrude begins wielding Mjolnir in honor of her father. I like that and one. And the real tear is discovered and freed in Niflheim. In the game's secret ending, Kratos, Freya, Mimir, and an unforgiving Sindri attend a funeral, excuse me, a Viking funeral for Brock in Svartalfheim. And that's the end of the game. So, oh, go ahead. That's, oh man, that's secret ending, man. It gets me. Uh, weird detail because I had a note about this, which I really liked. Is there's um when you're going to make the drop near spear, 
uh, there's a conversation where Brock feels very proud that he tells a riddle to Mimir that he can't think oh, of the answer yeah. to. And on the beach, when you're giving the funeral, Mimir finally figures out the answer to the riddle, and it's just like a very sad moment. Where the yeah, because ri- like that's a riddle that we've heard. And like when I heard that, I was like, oh yeah, that fucking, yeah. That fucking riddle. What gets bigger, the more you take away. And right. Mimir can and- never figure it out. And as they're standing on the beach, he just the last thing he says is a hole. Yeah, and it's like it's it's on the nose in a way because it's, it's so like, on the nose, but it works. Yeah, it, and it's like the thing is, I think that this game really does well is that there are a lot of things that are very tropey in the game, but the way they handle it, the makes performances it feel... are great, and that helps it elevate it a lot. Well, the performances are great. The writing is phenomenal as well because, like. Instead of eventually him like figuring it out later, like five minutes later, like oh, it's a hole. Ugh. It's hours later, and naturally, it's, it's like so on the nose for what's happening. It's like it feels like a lifetime later too, because when it's happening, it's very early in the game that Brock and it's not that early. Uh, it's when you're going to make the spear. I mean, that's still like halfway through the game. That's like the, in the third, third. It's over halfway, but it it has been hours. Is the point? Is the point? To me, like I guess to me because I did all the side content before I did the I final did, conflict. I did a lot of it after the final conflict. Yeah. Okay. So that makes more sense to me. It felt like so much. Like it felt like a lifetime. Well, ago it's enough that the first time he says it, your reaction is the same as Kratos, where you're like, "What?" Like because he just yeah. he just says a hole, and Kratos is like, "What?" And he goes, "Gets bigger the more you take away a hole." Yeah. And that's going to be interesting to, like, even though it's on the nose with, like, the hole that Brock is going to leave with his death, it's going to be interesting to see if that has any foreshadowing for the future as well. Like, not just for Sindri, but for these other characters as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's such a good moment. So where do you think Atreus' story will go from here? Uh, That's the question, isn't it? Like, he's looking for the other giants. He knows they left. I am I'm thinking we might be getting from Atreus sort of almost like what Tyr did, which is traveling, seeing other places and learning much like Kratos did, maybe a little less murder uh, about other yeah. cultures. Uh, but I think we might see this. I, I really hope that whatever a next game is, is a, a split story where we're seeing what Kratos is doing, what Atreus is doing, uh, where there, there's so many cool places you could take this now. Hmm. Yeah, like I could even see it. Like I, I think that's co- like a good idea. I could see it where Kratos is doing his own things, and he's with Mimir, and he's reflecting from time to time on on Atreus, and then Atreus is going to pop up at some random moment. They're and... both going to go to Egypt to I don't know kill Anubis. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I could also see them. Like, like uh santa monica doing it to where if they could have like kratos doing his own game and then at some point like either atreus you gets dlc or he gets his own game i completely forgot i had been saving this for this podcast to talk about because i this is my idea for where the next game should go and i think it's quite brilliant um they had talked about um in interviews in 2018 about when they were deciding on the setting like at one point they were considering egypt like a bunch of different things and i thought about the egypt thing and i was like here's a fun way to roll with that um you know who is spending a lot of time in egypt 
uh, many years later after the fall of Greece, the Romans. And wouldn't it be interesting for Kratos to be interacting with Romans, the people that basically repurposed his culture? Um, mm. And basically, like, you know, kind of a re- almost a, maybe a potential return to Greece for Kratos to see what's become of it. I think that would be very fascinating. And I think that's a route, route that they could certainly take. And I like that's the qu- next question I was going to ask you. What are, where are they going to go next with Kratos' story? So that's a perfect segue. I I think like if they choose to move it out of uh, the nine realms, which I imagine they will, because in think... this game you pretty much do everything you can in the nine realms. And also, Cory Barlog has specifically said like this doesn't mean God of War is over, but specifically the Norse saga of God of War is over. And just sort of imagine like almost the reason I think like maybe Roman culture is interesting because the Roman gods and Greek gods are essentially the same. They're just slightly different and and changed. Imagine the idea of like sort of maybe they work with that idea of like a resurrected version of the Greek gods as Roman gods and Kratos having to sort of reconcile with that past and being directly confronted with that past. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the route that they'll take next. There's only so much mythology, unfortunately, in the world that they can draw from. There's a lot of it. I mean, there, <laughs> there is, there is, but like, you don't want to see Kratos like uh, rip off one of Ganesh's tusks and spear him with it. That'd be dope. That'd be dope. Like we joked about on the podcast multiple times. I sincerely hope that at some point that the series does tackle um, that Kratos kills the Judeo-Christian god. Well, at the very least, they tackle that subject. Did you guys see the trailer for uh, God of War 6? Kratos kills the prophet Muhammad. I Like, why not explore that? Because, like, if you think about it, hasn't Christianity, and, like, this is not a knock on Christianity for anybody out there who is Christian. I'm not trying to knock it. I'm not trying to well, talk to you Well, I'll do my best it. when you're done. <sighs> Thank you. But, like, if you think about it, Christianity, like, a lot of it has taken popular culture and repurposed it into a Christianified version of it. Like, I even think about something as silly as, like, when I was growing up and God, or not God of War, sorry, Guitar Hero and Rock Band were super popular, and they repurposed a version of that to make it uh, a Christianified version of that game. Like, everything they've done in Christianity recently has repurposed pop culture. Why couldn't the opposite be done? Yeah, we could uh, totally reverse cycle that. And also, you know, uh, why not Mormonism? I'd love to see Kratos uh, decapitate Joseph Smith. <laughs> Scientology's got to be worked in there <laughs> yeah, somehow, sure, too. Yeah, sure, sure. Why not? Why not? Oh, man. We'll see. But I think that... I think that most likely the Egyptian route is the more likely route. And I think that there's in a... terms of well-known deep cut gods. I think that is, uh, the, the, the one that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. I think it's going to be interesting. Like, uh, yeah, Kratos which is going to loose... fight Ra. We're into it. <laughs> so which loose threads are the most enticing to you going forward? Uh, I think the two that stick out the most to me, not that I don't think Atreus and the giant stuff is interesting because I do. I think the mm. t- top for me are obviously 
Kratos has some more growing to go through before he becomes a benevolent, loved god. Especially like you know, Odin even points to like no one's ever worshipped you. Like you're not a real god. All that blah blah blah. But even more so than that, to me is like I really want to see what happens to Sindri next. Same. Mostly because I want some reconciliation between Sindri and his friends after everything that's happened. Yeah, that that is such a big what's going to happen there for me. I think that's the biggest th- loose thread that I'm That's the one in. I am the most invested in. Right. And I didn't expect that. That that talks to the brilliance of the writing. I, am, I did not expect that. I am that. very glad now. I don't think I cared as much back in 2018. Um, I bought the collector's edition of God of War 2018. And one of the things that sit on my desk somewhere um, are there were two little like Nordic carved statues of Brock and Sindri. Uh, mm. They're like two inches a piece that are just very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that. Another loose thread is obviously Mimir and Freya say they'll they'll go wherever Kratos goes. I wonder how long they're going to be kept in future uh, games. I hope they're you know st- they're a staple Mimir especially. Yes, I agree, but at some point, maybe they're going to feel like if we keep him for this long, it's going to feel like we're rehashing. And with the death of Brock, with the death of the gods, with the death of Freyr in some regards, that I feel like they w- they're they not going to be afraid to shake things up. Well, like uh, that, like... Uh, also, here's the, the thing, and I say Mimir especially because this is going to sound like the most outlandish statement, and if, you th- if anyone ever thought I'd be saying this back in God of War 2018 came out, I'd be like, that is an insane statement. Kratos and Mimir are like Jack and Daxter to me. <laughs> And I don't want them to be split up. I don't either. I don't either. But, like, I wonder if at some point the mission is going to be, can we get Mimir a body again? You know what they got in Egypt? Mummies. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get Mimir a mummified body. I'd have to, like, because I don't know nearly as much about Egyptian mythology as I do Greek and Roman and even Norse to some regards. I would have to look it up to see if it, like there's any kind of deeper mythology around like reanimating a bo- not only reanimating a body but like for him being able to get his body back. Sure. You know, so like that's a big question for me. There's some Mimir wild shit as far as the Egyptian version of the underworld goes, so you might be able to get uh some interesting stuff happening. Right. Uh I this is a, like a lesser loose thread for me. I I feel like it's tied up pretty neatly, and maybe we will not see anything of this again, or maybe we will as like a cameo. But Throod taking Mjolnir yeah. up and going off. I I'm curious to see how that character is going to grow. Her and Sif both, to be honest. Also, uh, Anger Boda and Fenrir, who are now in Jotunheim together. Yes, Fenrir, the best boy. Yes, oh, the best boy in the world. You know, that is like the like that is the most uh saccharine thing. I know I keep saying that. It feels like it's the word of the day for you me. You love that but word. I feel like that is the most saccharine part of the game is where fucking Fenrir died at the beginning and then he is resurrected and saved. Oh, it feels great. It feels great. I'm into it. I didn't even put it together when you see that massive wolf. I was like holy fuck you know and then this is one of those things where i I saw that one coming a little bit faster because anger boda talks about the soul in the knife and also uh one weird thing that i specifically always remember about norse mythology is that garm does not have a soul Mm. and that's like his thing 
Right. And yeah. also Fenrir's a giant wolf, so. Yes. It makes sense. Um, Another loose thread I'm curious about, and this is just like very much a me thing. The two wolves, the other two wolves, not just Fenrir, but the other two wolves that they have. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to those two wolves? Uh, now that Atreus is gone and I think they're Kratos gonna is going to be moving keep on. Keep doing their thing. Chase the sun across the sky. Take a nappy. No, no, not those wolves. Not those wolves. Oh, yeah, but those. oh okay. Uh, the two I that forgot. pulled the sled around. Uh, um, you know, I don't know. I guess they open the gate, go out and get some food. They seem to mostly take care of themselves. Hopefully that ends up being the case, or like somebody takes care of them. But I was thinking well, maybe they go with Kratos. I don't know. That'd be dope. I really like those wolves. I really like too. that side mission where Kratos finally works up the courage to pet his own dogs. Yes. Yes, exactly. When Freya like begrudges him for not properly taking care of his wolf. Like I she's love just like, that. you have to brush them and like take care of their matted fur. And Kratos yes. is just like, they're wolves. Yeah, I I love that. Like even that is a little bit of character development and having Kratos become a more empathetic human being or empathetic god, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, though I think those are the main loose threads I want to see um going forward what's going to happen with them. Same here. Same, yeah. same here. One of the most exciting aspects of God of War 2018 was to see the development of Kratos and Atreus's relationship. In Ragnarok, the relationship de- relationship, the relationship develops even further and more organically. So, Rich, talk to me for a bit about the standout moments of that development. Like, what are some of the most important parts, and what are some of the high points? Oh, my God, there's so many good points. Um, And it's funny because most of them come from, like, Kratos finally coming around on things he said in the last game. Uh, Like, uh, one standout to me is in the the Asgard siege part, uh, where they end up deciding to distract Surtur to save the Midgardians. When Atreus sort of remembering back about the first game when he Kratos talked to him about all the people they were going to have to kill. We're going to try and harm them. And he was like, close your heart to it. And Kratos sort of comes around that. He's like, I was wrong. Do not like don't close your heart to it. Like your ability to feel empathy for them is what makes you human. It's what makes you strong. And you need to like I he goes like I was I was wrong about that. And we need to save these people. Hmm. Yeah, I think. I think that's a really important part, and I think that, obviously, had they not had that mentality, Sif and Thrud would not have defected either. Yeah. But then when they realize that the Midgardians are being used as, basically, human shields... Cannon fodder, yeah. Yes, that um, Kratos has finally... It's taken him this long of a journey to realize that, no, we need to be more open. And that that is, like, one of the first major set pieces for that prophecy that he sees at the end of the game yeah where he will become a benevolent god exactly exactly um yeah that's a really important moment of the game um the conversation like they have the in moment. helheim also hmm? the conversation they have in helheim after the the stuff with fenrir too where they kind of come full circle on that initial conversation from uh, 2018, where Atreus gets to reiterate his "Don't be sorry, be better" line, but back to to oh. his father. Yes, yes, that was a great moment as well. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I I really liked when Atreus uses a failsafe and comes back 
and Sindri's house is being attacked by all those uh, Hellwalkers mm-hmm. that Kratos shows up and uh, Kratos, Kratos is there with Freya and they're, they're all fighting and then they are able to protect the house, get every, all the Hellwalkers out of that area and then they kind of have just like this beautiful yet simple reunion of yeah. like, I'm glad you're safe, I'm glad you're okay. Because yeah. that's something that would have never happened in 20. It would have just been, yeah, Kratos being like, what were you thinking? But, like, his like, in, his instinct is not immediately to yell, it's to hug his son. Right. Like, you remember, even in 2018, this is one of the most standout moments for me in that entire game. That moment where he wants to reach out and put his hand on Atreus' shoulder. Yeah. To comfort him. And he can't even put his hand there. Because yeah. he's nervous to show affection. And now we're at the point where... He's hugging his son, saying, I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad you're okay. It's like a real dad. Yeah, it's like, it's such a beautiful moment. I think that's why, obviously... I'm glad we made sure the only real father on this podcast couldn't be here to ruin this for us. Right? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I think, like, that's a big reason why this game is such a standout with uh, millennial fathers. You know, you could definitely look at the statistics of that is back when the original God of War came out, they were just horny and angry and now they've evolved too. Yeah, as it turns out. But no, I think it's important because people our age are becoming fathers. Um, you know, and mothers as well. But <laughs> And absentee uncles. And absentee uncles. But I think that this game like 2018 was i know important for a lot of people including a lot of our fans and some of our patrons because they themselves are fathers or they have become fathers and so to see that portrayal of fatherhood some of us are just daddies yeah we are uh that portrayal of fatherhood is really important to them so i think that for those who have played this game are definitely who are fathers are definitely going to see that organic relationship develop between kratos and atreus and it's going to be even more impactful for them and it's a very important relationship i mean like obviously it's and understandably so i think it's well known that you know mothers will always have a special relationship with their children both son and daughter because like there's that special bond that can never be broken the mother gives birth to the children that special bond can never, ever be broken. I think that sometimes, not always, but sometimes that relationship between fatherhood and father and son is not explored as well as it could be. And I think that this game has done such a good job. These two games have done such a good job with it. And just to see how it's organically developed to show like the high points um, when Kratos is finally hugging Atreus and the low points when they're discussing Atreus's fate and what he's going to do with his life and Kratos is struggling in a very supernatural way of it's not electric. trying to control his son and let him you know decide his own future sure that is a difficult thing to do as a parent I assume yeah yeah for sure I've never been a parent but I think I think we can infer that, you know, like we even look at our, the relationship between us and our own fathers. I know my father and I, my father and I have had discussions about that. And certainly my father has had his own, you know, learning process of allowing me to make my own mistakes and to learn from them. My father and I don't have discussions. I find they're more trouble than they're worth. 
Well, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Eh, it's, probably, you have, it's probably fine. At least you have Kratos as your father. That's true. And my yeah. daddy. Right. Uh, there's a lot of conflict happening with Atreus in the game, such as dealing with butting heads with Kratos, his giant lineage, the prophecies, and Odin and Thor. One of my... <laughs> One of my concerns going into the game was how the writers and developers would approach the development of a teenage Atreus. Um, Rich, did you how how did you feel about the portrayal of a teenage Atreus, and like were you concerned at all going into this game? Um, not really. Mostly because not really, I wasn't concerned. Um, mostly because I really liked the way Atreus was handled in the first game. Um, and I pointed out the only time Atreus feels annoying in that first game is when you're supposed to think he's being annoying, uh, when he's being a vindictive little prick, when he finds out he's a god. Um, and in this one more so, like, they avoid that overly angsty teenage thing. Like, he does rebel a little bit, but also this version of Atreus has learned enough from the past to not just be the overwhelming, like, nobody gets what I'm going through, and, like, he doesn't... He doesn't have that arc. The only arc he has is, like, keeping things from his father, and it's not even necessarily an act of rebellion. It's just him not always making the right choice, which is more human than it is teenage boy. Um, Like, he Hmm. still reads like a kid, but not in a way that is, like, overly wrought and a child clearly being written by adults. Yes, yes. I will say that I was definitely more fearful than you going into this game and we were going to get an annoying teenage Atreus like that. Hey, Dad, look at me. (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. (laughs) But, um... We make the super cut of, like, Atreus shots sent to that song. (laughs) (laughs) Just looking down and it's just like, like, still shots of him slowly in and out, like, fading in and out. Oh my god. Now it's just too late, and I can't go back. Anyways, um, so there's a picture uh, of him with Kratos and Mimir that says "My two dads." That like that is so important to Atreus being grounded is him having both Kratos and and Mimir. And he does say to him in the end in that walk up no. scene that he thinks of him as another father which is again a, a tear that 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 did get me it's to tear yeah. up that was the other scene that got me to tear up in this game that's, like, that's brock's a, death was hard cry. like and i almost cried at that segment brock's funeral i almost cried but when he's like you've been like a second father to me that fucking got me that got me yeah for sure and um yeah it's it was like having them both there was really important because like even when Kratos was doing things that weren't great, Mamir was there to like discuss it with him about like what it, what his thoughts and concerns were about Atreus and they were able to discuss it together. And I think that built Kratos into a better god, a better person, a better father. But and- also like there were times where Atreus is like, yeah, like fuck you dad and Mimir's like, no, your dad definitely has the experience there, there's a real, what he's like, talking about. There's actually a real co-parenting feel there where Mimir's basically on the verge of like, do not talk to your father like that. Right, <laughs> like, yes. 
Right. And it's it's great because it's like it's like Kratos's brother is there to like back him up. It's like two brothers raising a son. There is even there's a conversation with Kratos because we were we were talking about that a little bit between Kratos and Atreus where I think this is maybe one of the most like feels like a real conversation between a parent and a child when a parent's trying to stay grounded and be reasonable where after Atreus is like questioning him on like you want me to lead or not do you are we really you know doing this and Kratos basically says I am asking you questions you do not have to agree I, I'm giving you my opinion you do not have to agree with me but you will not speak to me like that. Yes. Yes. I like those moments and they feel they feel organic. And that's yeah. at the end of the day that's what's important to make a teenage Atreus work. Like even when he's doing those teenage things where he's like asking Mimir and Kratos questions about a girl he likes. Yeah. Uh like it's handled with enough enough uh how do I say? It's handled well enough to where it's like, yes, this is something we all went through when we were that age. It seems silly now being an adult, but like at that age is much more difficult to talk about, right? And they acknowledge that in a really organic way. And I love when Mimir handles the conversation so well, because obviously Mimir is more in touch with his thoughts and emotions. Whereas Kratos doesn't really say too much. He does say a few things, but... Um, Amir is the one who handles it. And even that conversation, I think that conversation is the closest we get to like a teenager, Atreus being corny other than like Atreus, like trying to talk himself up when he's going to Asgard. Like those are the two corniest teenage bits of Atreus and they're handled well because of the writing and the performance of the voice actor. Yeah. Agreed. 100% agreed. Yeah. I'm I'm really happy with the way he's portrayed in this game. Very happy. So considering what happens with Freyr, even though I love the world building and backstory of Freyr and the light of and the light and dark elves that we get through this story, I almost feel like we are cheated out of a reunification of those tribes of people in a more direct way. Uh do you think that there will be some involvement of those two races in any future God of War entries, Rich, or no? Uh, maybe I don't, I don't necessarily know that they'll go back to that. Well, I don't, I think they're kind of done with that Norse stuff. Like, and it is more of a background issue. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt too. That was like one of those other small loose ends that I figured probably is loose in my mind, but it's probably done at this point. But I wanted to make sure we brought it up to acknowledge it because it is a big part of the game. They talk about it a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's and and it's vital too. Like that's one of the things that's bigger about Freyr's uh, sort of presence and necessity in the final conflict. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we're down to the final question, Rich, and this is the question we always ask at the end of these episodes. Um, do you recommend this? Why or why not? So. I'm asking, and I will ask Rich first, and I'll, I'll round it up because I've done a lot of talking recently. Rich, do you recommend God of War Ragnarok? If yes, why? If no, why not? Uh, yes, because of all the positive things I've been talking about for two hours. Mm. Um, feels a little hat on the hat, to, but it's it's so good. Um, not just narratively, but I think combat and everything about this game 
Uh, it's a delight to play, and the narrative is phenomenal. Yeah. The the reason why I th- I think that like I want to do this segment m- more in this game than most other games is because like I said at the at the top of the show I finished this game in the midst of us doing game of the year um preparation and discussions because we took a, the last week off in November and then uh doing our first week of game of the year I haven't had time to talk about like the ending of this game and, and the overall, not just the narrative, but everything else. So that's why I thought that this w- section would be a lot longer than usual, actually. Yeah, I, I, I guess I could see that. I always feel like I'm being, trying to be very succinct by the time I get here. Um, yeah, because this I'm is like, the one I've, time I've this, talk- I think this game more than any others. One time you don't have to be succinct, but not even succinct out of necessity, just like, I feel like I've said what I need to say. I've made my point. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. I don't have anything yeah. to add. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll definitely be a little bit more verbose, and I apologize in advance. Um, I absolutely recommend this game. I, after I finished, or after I was going through the story, I was about at the finishing point, and I realized I'm going to do everything in this game. Initially, I, my plan was, like, get through this game as quickly as I can because I have other games I want to play in preparation for our Game of the Year shows. And the more I got into it, the more I didn't want to leave. To move on to anything else, yeah. I, I couldn't. Like, I literally started seeing all this amazing, brilliant side content that I wanted to do. And I wanted to spend more time with these characters and learn more about them. So I just couldn't leave. And so I needed to do all the side content, you know? Even something as simple as the Crucible, um, which is like the the arena where you do challenges, or you're doing, um, you know, you're finding the the lore in the game, all all that stuff. I wanted to do every bit of it, so I spent the sixty plus hours to finish this game in its entirety, and I'm really glad I did all the side content stuff. I was able to see all the all the endings. I was able to get everything that I could that I wanted to get out of this game to learn about the characters, who they are, their development and everything. It some of the best character development in a game I've ever played. For sure. Oh, 100% uh, agree. 100% agree. Yes, some of the best character development to date. Um it's absolutely brilliant. Each character that pops in feels very well-rounded from Kratos to Odin to Angerboder to um to Freya like everybody feels so well rounded it's it's phenomenal um one thing that i personally feel like we didn't talk about enough even in our chompcast episodes is the visuals and the attention to detail in this game is absolutely fucking insane like the the attention to detail is so good in this game and like each environment i would go to i was just completely blown away at how beautiful it was even on my base ps4 it looked phenomenal it's quite quite the title on the ps5 can confirm i dude i can only imagine yeah um even like towards the back end of the game i had a little bit of stuttering issues here and there um i had a few small audio and visual glitches from time to time, but I mean it's the base PS4. I fully understand what I'm getting into at that point. Yeah, but a little long on the man teeth. was 
is a technical marvel this game in a lot of ways um the voice acting obviously we've talked a lot about it praised it the voice acting there's not a single character that i would have wanted to have been voice acted differently or better or by someone else every performance is perfect agreed 100 percent perfect Hundo. um full praise be to that i really like one of the things that up until one particular fight i was very high on the combat and i still am I what I love is that you can still do the typical hack and slash that you could do in the old God of War games, but with how much they introduced into like the different abilities you can do with the different weapons, the fact that they introduced the Drapnia Spear, there is so much more um you can do with this combat. There is a lot more and they play with that really well. There are certain um missions or certain fights that you do where you have to use all three weapons especially in the crucible and i really loved being able to use all three of those weapons to use some of the different abilities to end up choosing which ones that i liked being able to personalize the way i approach combat was fantastic that being said i would be lying if i didn't acknowledge that the uh there are some shortcomings with the combat and it's 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 um it's a light is uh shown on that when you fight the Valkyrie Queen because that fight's hard. That that fight took me and I'm not kidding half a day. It took me six or seven hours to finish that fight. And part of the reason is um I I have a like I like a lot of people have a hard time when an enemy just like fucking flies beyond your field of vision and then come back comes back to strike you very quickly. That happens a lot in the game in general. Like you'll you'll get the indicator showing that there's an en- enemy coming to your right and you don't know like because it's flashing red, you don't know if it's imminent or it's coming in like 2 or 3 seconds. So you might be in the middle of slashing something and suddenly that that alert is blinking and you're like am i getting hit now or am i getting hit in a few seconds like and it breaks the flow sometimes of what you're doing and i think and the reason why i'm comparing it to this is because obviously elden ring came out this year you think about it from software game those types of uh uh souls games souls s games I think those games do a better job of telegraphing those kind of attacks and where the damage is going to be coming from. Whereas this game, you will have things come at you off screen from time to time. Um, with that Valkyrie Queen fight, that happened a lot. And even there were times where it was like incredibly frustrating. Have you beaten the Valkyrie Queen yet, Rich? Yes, I have. There were times where I felt like the game was purposefully like stacking the deck in her favor like there, there's this attack she does where she she uh grabs you pushes you down and starts stepping on you with her valkyrie shoes and at certain parts in the f- <laughs> at certain parts in the fight it was dealing one-sixth of my total health before freya intervenes and then seemingly at random intervals i didn't quite figure out when 
but it seemed like it was random. Maybe I'm incorrect about this. Suddenly, when she's stepping on you, it's taking half of your health. So there's no way Freya can intervene. And you basically die. Yeah. That fight, that fight definitely felt cheap. And all the rest of the game, the combat felt really great. That fight felt fucking cheap. And that's Some of the part... Berserker fights are a little stacked against you too, I think. But that they... might have had to do with some of my combat choices. You know, I felt that way at first. But as I leveled up Kratos and I realized how these fights work, I didn't quite feel that way. Except the only other one I may have felt that way is where you fight two Berserkers. That shit was frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the rest of them felt pretty damn good. All the other Berserkers. All the rest of the fights felt pretty damn good. Sure. So I think the combat is mostly well-balanced. I think they needed a little bit more fine-tuning and definitely there, an improvement but... over the first one. Not that I think the first one's bad. I just think this does it better. I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, I'd say probably, and I get why they do it, because it's loading. Uh, instead of having uh, loading screens, that this is their way of loading. But the exploration definitely felt a little bit tedious at times, like where you're taking 20, 30 seconds to climb up the cliff you're climbing up, and they climb to the left. And, and a lot of that jumps. is not just loading, but it's like a place for them to like stow in conversation and organic uh, lore drops and shit. So I get it. Like I find it's passive, but I, I enjoy it. Yeah, it was it wasn't my it wasn't the worst thing in the world. It wasn't my favorite thing. I enjoyed the segments more of like where you're solving uh environmental puzzles to like progress yourself to the next section and then they're they're lore dropping in there. Like that was more enjoyable for me than just like the the climbing up a cliff face kind of thing. Sure, but yeah, yeah. It's it's a minor complaint to have at the end of the day because the thing is I would put this game up there with being one of the best gaming experiences of this year, easily. Oh, absolutely. 150%. So. Yeah, it just makes me wonder if, like, it'll have the legs to survive Game of the Year talks. Shut up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, absolutely recommend this game. It's worth full price tag. Um, if you're the type of person who enjoys character development and story development, you're going to want to see this game through and you're going to want to do all the side content and stuff like that and if you're listening to this podcast you probably have already finished the game and you're like yeah fuck yeah and if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't played the game still play through the game because it's absolutely worth seeing all these story beats happen in action because us talking about it doesn't even come close to seeing what actually transpires on the screen but a couple of big old recommends here you have any final thoughts you want to get out, Rich? Uh, no. I mean, I guess that that's what we say. The, actually, there is one thing I just remember that I wanted to get out that is important about 2018 versus this game. We got to see Faye a lot in this game. Oh, yeah. We finally know what kind of tail Kratos is pulling. <laughs> it's Deborah Ann Wool. Yeah. And, like, the the interactions that they have are super awesome because... It like also serves as a reminder of not only the bridge between uh, the past trilogy or not past trilogy, past Kratos and the earlier God of War games to now. Like it serves as a good reminder, but like even 2018 Kratos to now, it serves as a good reminder for us of like how far he's come, even in just those three short years. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I really enjoyed her character a lot. Yeah, I really like her dynamic with Kratos of like kind of giving him shit for being Kratos. Yeah. Be, like and when she like, like asked him a question, you'd be like, is that all you're going to do? You're just going to grunt at me? And like the game does a really good job of passively and actively making her seem formidable, which is why Kratos, you know, fell in love with her because one, one of the missions that you do, you start learning about Faye and how th- her and Thor went at odds with each other. Um, which, yeah. And they were fighting each other. And the axe that Kratos wields, which obviously was Faze, was the same axe that withstood Mjolnir. Yeah, well, that was the whole thing. And they, they kind of get into that a little bit more. This, like, the, the Leviathan axe was forged by Sindri and Brock specifically to help Faye defeat Thor. Like, it was meant to be the match for Mjolnir. That was the point of it. Right. Exactly. And so I. I really loved, um, really, really very much loved that about the game that they went into a lot more detail about her yeah, um, as well. So I, I knew we had forgotten to mention that. And I wanted to mention that before we ended this podcast. Yeah, it is, that is content, a very but it is one of the best, like that whole area um, of Vanheim exploring and learning about Faye is, is really interesting. Super important. Absolutely. But. Uh, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, so if you've listened this long, first off, I want to say thank you. And um, also, if you want more content from us, head over to SoreChomp.com, where we have more podcasts, articles that we write about the games we play. Um, we have a merchandising section, and we have a Patreon that you can check out all of that stuff there if you're interested. But um, that's going to do it for the show. So I want to say thank you to Rich for being here. And... Uh, We will be back for another awesome episode where we spoil stuff on the next episode of Chomping After Dark. So thank you, and that's what we say.